Hello, I'm Professor Bob Hewish from the Department of International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. You're listening to GDP, the Global Development Primer, the podcast dedicated to all issues in international development studies. Follow me on Twitter at Professor Hewish. Thanks again for joining us on GDP, the Global Development Primer podcast. This week, we're joined by Samuel Tomiwa, who's joining us from the Asian Development Bank. He's the Asian Development Bank's representative to North America, where he works with the Canadian and the United States governments and their agencies, bilateral and multilateral institutions, research and civil society organizations, as well as the private sector, to increase understanding and strengthen collaboration of the Asian Development Bank's work. He was previously the deputy representative from 2011 to 2016. Now, prior to his current position, he was Director of Fragility and Engagement, overseeing the Non-Governmental Organization and Civil Society Center, which serves as the institutional focal for engagement with civil society and Asian Development Bank-wide efforts to improve the success of its operations in the most vulnerable, but least development, de- developed, fragile, at-risk, and conflict-affected situations, including small island developing states. So Mr. Tamiwa was also ADB's country director for Afghanistan, managing relations with the government and other development partners and overseeing a portfolio of about $4 billion. He is focused on agriculture and natural resources, energy and transport. And today on the Global Development Primer podcast, we're joined by Mr. Tamiwa to learn about what he does and to encourage maybe others of finding similar paths in the the pathway to finding a job in in global development. Samuel, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Congratulations on the success of this podcast. Uh, The length and breadth of its reach is really uh, very impressive. So congratulations and thanks for having me on. Oh, my my pleasure. It's it's by having great guests like yourself that uh, that keep the the energy alive, I guess we should should say. And um, I want to thank you for joining us. And before we get to some of your your uh, your work with the Asian Development Bank. I'm I'm just curious. I mean, this is again something that a lot of students, a lot of people who are thinking about getting into global development, frequently asked. How did you get from the starting point to now being Asian Development Bank's representative to North America? Very good question. Um, and and it's something you know. Although I've been doing this for thirty years, it's something that's still fresh on my mind. Um, and I really like engaging with students because when I meet with students these days or make a presentation and talk to them, I'm stunned by the quality and, and how talented and smart they are. And I'm glad I don't have to compete with them for a job these days because I wouldn't get a job if I had to compete with uh, international relations or development studies students today. But um, so I'd always wanted to do uh, development work. Um, I'm Indonesian. But uh, I, my father worked in development, so we lived in Laos in the 72 to 75, and then we lived in Thailand, and when he then got involved with uh, the refugee situation coming out of uh, former Indochina. And so I've always wanted to do um, development work, so I studied international relations undergraduate, and I studied development studies in, in graduate school. Um, I think for me, I was given the advice that if you wanted uh, to really get into development, you had to go live and work in a developing country to develop your street cred so to speak so yeah i went back to indonesia um and i was very lucky i had a job with the u.s agency for international development there as a program officer and worked there for 
for three years, but I was, um, but I wanted to sort of be in the global setting, not just be in Indonesia. So um, I came back to Washington, D.C. and um, looked for a job here and found a job as a consultant for for the for the Asian uh, for the uh, USAID. The funny thing about ADB was I kind of fell into this job. I was doing some consulting and we were doing some work for ADB. We were in Montreal at the UN fifth high level meeting for cleaner production in, can't remember what year, but 2000, 2000, I guess, in Montreal. And I met with uh, one of the directors of ADB. We came late to the conference. We're looking for coffee. There was no coffee. So we went to one of the tunnels near the conference center, found some coffee got to chatting and he offered me a job. So I was like, okay, I never thought I'd live in Manila, never thought I'd work for ADB, but but here I am 24 years later um, working with the ADB. So I kind of fell into it. Um, yeah, uh, interestingly enough, when I interviewed, I interviewed to be an environment specialist. So I'd been doing a lot of environmental work, a lot of climate change work. Uh, but and, and because of my climate change work, when I was doing my interviews in ADB, I met with the head of the energy division and he was just starting to get into climate change, the clean development mechanism. So I applied to be an environment specialist. Job offer comes from ADB. It says renewable energy specialist. I'm like, what? I ran down the street here to the World Bank Information Center, bought myself a bunch of books on renewable energy and energy and <laughs> myself a renewable It's a great bookstore. <laughs> it is a good bookstore. So that's my story of how I ended up here. And uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what's what's interesting about it is is it follows some of what some of other guests have had to say in the past is that the the term you use of fall into it seems to be mm-hmm. kind of the way it goes, putting yourself out there in almost very innovative ways, and then opportunity comes along. And to me, that just says that there is opportunity. Like this is something that that we hear again and again when when people are are are, are getting interested in studying international development. Uh, there, there's so much opportunity to really get discouraged with the whole the whole process the whole project and be like oh boy did they ever mess that up um but at the same time those who like yourself who've made the effort to put boots on the ground go explore push yourself in those boundaries uh you're now uh you know you're now in dc that uh you know in a really really important uh position of a multilateral agency and and it's, it's incredible how this kind of can can work out yeah, I think I think putting yourself out there. I think also most of us in development, whether we fell into this or whether you know uh, it was much more targeted, uh, people who were much smarter than me, who are like you know PhDs in eco- economists or, or engineers or financial specialists who are very specific and, and have very specific skills, get into. I think I find that most of us are quite helpful uh, with people who are trying to get in because for many of us you know, this development thing is a calling, right? It's you, you see the situation, you know, I want to get into there, I want to do the development work. And as others come along and want to do development work, I think many of us try to be sort of connectors. Oh, I know so and so connect so and so with so and so and, and, you know, and then, you know, I guess I've helped quite a few people. <laughs> All I ask is, you know, one day, I'm going to be retired from ADB and I need a consulting gig. So, you know, please remember me when I come out knocking at your doorstep uh, looking for a consulting gig. So, yeah, I think most of us are helpful of people looking for that. So, you know, I think as if you're trying to break in, I think if you're a student, don't be ashamed to just go and reach out and and talk. I got a text Saturday morning from a friend, a retired ADB person whose uh, best friend's daughter is at Columbia, wants to meet and talk. So I do. Um, my daughter wants to get into something. I, I 
texted a friend who I think all that is just 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 get out there. Don't yeah. be afraid, don't be shy. I think that's my advice. Exactly. So so someone is 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 hitting the street. They're they're not being shy. They're 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 gonna come in and, and knock at some doors and do some introductions. They come up to an organization like the Asian Development Bank, and this is a multi lateral institution. So like, what can we describe ADB and other such organizations as what, what, what would be the definition of these organizations and, and their role in global development today? Wow, really good question. You know, I, I do think that there are specific roles. And I think, okay, let's put it this way. What is the value addition we bring to that space? I think, you know, of course, some really, really good work being done by civil society organizations and NGOs, the WWFs, Conservation International, Save the Children, that type of work is so important. I think the bilateral agencies uh, do really, really good work also. I think, and I'll, I'll talk about maybe ADB as opposed to all the MDBs. I think yeah, one of the things yeah. that sets ADB a little differently than the others is that we were actually established to do infrastructure. So 80% of our portfolio is large infrastructure. People used to make fun of us, call us the uh, Asian Dams and Bridges Bank, because that's what we did. Ah. We weren't really actually set up to do the poverty thing. The World Bank was there. Um, and 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 I guess when we were being established in 1966, the discussion was, you know, what what's the difference going to be the difference between ADB and the World Bank? And so we were established to do uh, large-scale infrastructure. We were established to do um, regional development. So, you know, uh, our projects aren't just single country, but we look at economic corridors or transport energy across a region. And we were very specifically set up to do the Pacific because back in the 60s, there was not a lot of development assistance going to the Pacific. But I think this, the, so large infrastructure is what we do. And then, you know, uh, there's been various, uh, you've had podcasts where you talked about the volumes that the MDBs do. And I think it is that the volumes that we do then therefore allow us to get into the uh, the, the large infrastructure, and perhaps maybe two more things uh, that said that 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 are, are pros and cons. You know, when we talk about multilaterals, we often talk about the funding. You know, yeah, you're doing a five hundred million dollar transmission uh, energy project transmission line, or, or or this and that. But I think the most important thing we actually do is because we have these volumes, we can actually we can actually get a big seat at the table for policy dialogue. If the electricity utility is not uh, profitable, it's not operating very well, we actually need to fix that first because if we lend additional money for the utility, it's gonna put them further into debt. So, so reforming the sector, uh, getting the sector done right, whether it's energy, water, transport, um, the policy dialogue is the most actually the most important thing I think we do. And the second thing we do is the capacity building and the knowledge and bringing in all that into the development landscape as we get involved with the projects. And then the real actual project funding is the third thing that we do. And, and everybody talks about that. But I think the most important work is the policy dialogue we do. And finally, the um, there are things that we do well and we don't well. The things that we don't do well is because we're a large bureaucracy, we don't do well um, in the in 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 sort of the last mile and sort of smaller projects. It just doesn't suit our bureaucracy very well. So when we talk about the value addition, I think this is where civil society organizations, bilateral agencies, and the MDB should be able to work much more, much better together, although we, for some reason, don't. You know, a lot of the civil society organizations, NGOs, 
they do well with the last mile type stuff with uh they don't do well with the large uh big projects because they don't have the, the the money or the volume same with the multilaterals multilaterals because they're grant assistance they can actually do a lot of the capacity building and policy work too so i think you know this whole system actually we all have our comparative advantages and i think uh, one of the things um the, that is often discussed is we don't work too well together and that's something we need to do better well, you know, that is an important point is that there's there's a lot of disjuncture about who's <clears throat> kind of owning this this one cause, whatever it could be. It could be clean energy. It, it could be uh, kind of like you said, last mile poverty reduction. But what is often I want to speak from the point of view of the classroom for a minute. You know, I'm just thinking how we often teach introduction to development studies and even all the way through the program is mm. that the multilateral organizations are often uh, underexplored. I think we can use that term. So, mm -hmm. you know, World Bank, IMF, there they are. They're, they're usually the, the, the center stage. WTO will get some mention as well. Um, sort of regulating and being the regulators and sort of the big architects of the, the direction of development. But then you've got ADB, uh, who I, I can't recall if we've actually mentioned ADB in, in, in a textbook or if I've ever seen it mentioned on an exam or a final report in hmm. in, uh, in in a first year or second year class, but that can certainly change. And you know, speaking to uh, to others who have worked for for ADB, there's there's a there seems to be a consistent uh, search of of talent of people of if it's consultants, if it's if it's others to to kind of go through that policy uh, work to to create those dialogues and and to be active. I mean. There, there, there seems to be something about uh, the importance of the multilateral that we're kind of missing, perhaps in the uh, the classroom a bit. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think sometimes we're seen as a monolith, like the World Bank. You know, I'm in my office; they're just a block away. I said, "It's a big building." ADB, if you're in Manila, it's a big building, and you think, "Wow, how do I get in there?" And, you know, once you get to know one or two people in there, then it kind of opens up, right? You get to know people, you get introduced around. And I think that's the big problem with us is that, you know, I think we're all really, really busy. And so we we look down. If I'm a project officer in ADB, and I was once upon a time in my, uh, you know, you look down because right now you're designing the project that's going up for board approval this year. I'm also overseeing the procurement for the project that I got approved last year. So I'm getting stacks of stacks of uh, bidding documents that I have to review for whatever that project I'm working for. And then I'm also doing, I'm also beginning the design, the initial concept work for the project that I'm going to be doing next year. So the project officer are looking down. One of the things we don't do well is that the outreach work, the, and therefore that's why we're probably not in the textbooks. The World Bank does a lot better than we do, but this is something that that we're I'm actually hosting right now the heads of communications for all the MDBs are in the conference room just down the hall here. And that's what we're talking about. You know, how do these MDBs, you know, tell the story a little bit better? So yeah, I think it's it's on us. I think we need to be more open. I think we need to have more avenues. I uh, um, manage the uh, um, NGO center there at ADB. Um, Bart, your previous best, also managed the NGO center there at ADB. I think, it's a, I think it's, a, it's a career path. You go through there and you come here in Naro. But um, I think I think we have to find ways that we open up ourselves because 
We need expertise. We need to engage. We need people to come to us, especially in Manila. Perhaps not so in Washington here, where there's a lot of knowledge and, and exchange. Also. But in Manila, you know, what are the latest technologies and renewable energy? What's the latest trends in e-mobility? Um, you know, various methodologies for digitalization and 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 e-financial uh, e work. We need all that. So I think a lot more outreach. We need to be more open. We need to do a lot more outreach. And I think that's um, something we need to work on. Yeah. And that's something that, that's mutually responsible too. With, with, uh, if it's outreach from ADB side, that's, that's important. And also as educators who are, who are trying to explain what development is and what it isn't to the next generation, is to remind that generation exactly how this development industry works and mm -hmm. it's it's just not enough to say that you know you've got uh, you know, wealthy countries that uh, give money and then the it sort of positions poorer countries in the way that they are there there's a lot more to it and and the role of private sector the fact that so much of mm. development dollars actually hitting the ground come through mm -hmm. the private sector requires some knowledge about how the private sector works and right. also, how do the multilaterals uh, obtain funding? I mean, if I'm, if I'm not wrong here, there are various countries who contribute to uh, ADB in, in, in a way. And then from there, there's projects developed and designed that uh, that can then be put up to, to tender, and, and I, I believe. But please feel free to correct me on that. Well, that's, um, a lot of uh, dimensions to that. Let me just try to break that down a little bit. Yeah, the way the MDBs work. and the whole the whole premise behind the mdb is just like where it's a system where you can transfer resources in this case funding from countries with access capital to countries that lack capital so imagine asia or africa in the 70s or 60s where countries had, did not have access to capital they couldn't sell bonds nobody would buy a Laotian bond in the late 70s, if they were even open to the world or, you know. Um, so how do we get funding for development projects there? So with this mechanism of the multilaterals was created. And there's two parts to that. Um, the one part is the most concessional funds that are grant funds mainly for the poorest of the poor countries. So this is a fund that the World Bank has called, the, in, uh, the ADB has called the Asian Development Fund. The World Bank has its own, the African Development has its own. But the Asian Development Fund is a fund where the donors put money in every four years, and this money is given as grants to the least developed and poorest of the poor countries. For the other countries that are middle-income countries, we actually sell ADB bonds. We raise money in the financial markets. We're AAA-rated uh, financial institutions, so we can raise money quite cheaply. We we raise money at like uh, 30 basis points below uh, the rate that banks lend to each other. Um, so uh, that's pretty good. And we turn around and lend it to our middle income countries with a bit of a spread that then pays for our operational costs, right? So, and then there's a differentiation about upper middle income country, middle income countries. So we differentiate those uh, rates a little bit. But even then, those funds are probably more concessional than the funds that they can raise selling their own bonds. So, uh, so that's how the MDBs, lar the larger portfolio works. Um, and then, of course, we have our pr uh, private sector operations where we uh, we finance with a, through debt or equity 
uh, private sector transactions. Now, those are done at commercial rates. We are not there to undermine or under, under um, uh, yeah, uh, distort the commercial banks. Uh, we should only be funding those projects that the commercial banks in that country or in that region won't fund. Uh, so that's the value add we should do in the private sector. So that's how sort of that MDB model uh, works uh, the best. Second part, I think, if your question, if I remember correctly, um, is, uh, uh, well, I can't remember what you'd asked um, for the second part of that question. Um, oh, uh, the relevance of, of of working with the with the private. I think, you know, after, a few years ago, I would have said that the MDB model for Asia and the uh, was getting a bit irrelevant because most of Asia had become middle income. Uh, you know, Asia has uh, proudly has um, lifted the most people out of poverty in the last half century, 75 years, um, and most of Asia is middle income. So was there really a need for this this institution that funneled uh, funding resources from areas with access capital to less capital? Because there was a lot of capital in Asia. But now mm, the MDBs are reforming reforming on several different fronts. Uh, the three areas that we're all working on is um, we all need to focus a lot more on global and regional public goods. So we need to move beyond the country level and look at regional and global public goods. We need to um, you better utilize our balance sheets and, and, and we need to have a stronger focus on private capital mobilization and, and private sector, which is exactly what you said. In fact, ADB, is has just gone through a, a whole reorganization. Um, the first one, big one we've had since 2001. So it's been it's been a tumultuous year for in the past year for ADB, but I think we're going to come out much stronger, much more relevant. Um, a few things with this uh, reorganization. There are two things that we're really really going to focus on. The number and, and number one or two, they're both equally important. The first is climate change. Um, you know. Our president likes to say the battle for climate change will be won or lost for in Asia. And we really have to dedicate it. All the development goals that we helped to do, all the countries have been doing, will be undermined if we don't address the issue of climate change and, and resilience. Um, so climate change. And so everything we do now, we have to put it through a climate change lens. Hmm. The second thing and, um, is private sector development. And we talk about private sector development. It's not just the private sector transaction, or the but it's the upstream work of creating the market so it's on. So, for example, a long time ago, I was ADB's country lead in Bhutan for the energy sector, and the government and the government used to run the utility, and it was the Department of Energy was also the utility. Uh, the government asked our assistance to create uh, the Bhutan Power Corporation, which, which is a distribution company. We created the Druk Hydro Power Corporation, which was all their hydropower assets were under this corporation. And, and so, you know, you create these organizations. You, we, then we created the regulatory agency um, to regulate power sector investments. Ten years later, you have private sector investments in Bhutan uh, in the power sector. And we need to do this all over the region where you create that enabling environment for private sector to take place. And then you need to do midstream work where you do public-private partnerships. And then you do the downstream work, which is uh, the, the financial transaction. So again, now in ADB, before we invest in a project, we need to ask the question, can this project be done by the private sector? Can it be done under a PPP project before we do it as a, as a sovereign loan to the government? Um, so those are two very, very big things in our region that are um, 
that are very relevant. And this is how we're evolving uh, and all the MDBs are doing the same thing. Um, and finally, we, we've changed our business processes. Um, you know, we used to have so many approval method approvals that we have to do to do a project. Um, so I'm the team leader. Once I get my project designed, then the people who are doing the safeguards work will review my project. Oh, you did this wrong. You got to do more of this, more of that. Our lawyers then will review it. Um, our procurement people will review it. Now we've changed that where everybody is one team. And so the lawyers and the procurement people and the safeguards are all on my team. And there will be no post review that all the issues will be taken care of up front, uh, which is much better, I think, a way to work than having your work and then reviewing it and then revising it and reviewing it, and revising it. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're trying to make ourselves much more relevant. I think this is a really good push to do that. Um, and and, and you've also right now, there's there's a there's a pretty sizable funding program for clean energy financing in partnership facility where just in a, just a you know kind of quickly where where is that project going and is that kind of representative of this new commitment to to climate change yeah um yeah that came up i i was uh i was i was leading the team that was uh charged with uh, getting adb's lending for clean energy you know um, shifting it and in 2007 we were told by our management you know you have to we have to do ramp up on clean energy financing and so we, our goal was to get a billion dollars a year in clean energy financing. That was probably our first climate change goal. And we had to get there by 2000 and sorry, it was 2005 where this goal was set. So we had to meet it by 2008. And I was a part of that task force and leading the work. Um, I, I looked at the portfolio and we were doing about $200 million in clean energy lending at the time. So it was very, very small. So we changed our program and, and we got to that billion dollar target. Uh, but one of the things that I did was I established this clean energy financing partnership facility, which was donors putting in money to catalyze ADB to do more investments in clean energy. And it, it did, it got us, got us going. Uh, since then, we have a few other things now. So we've moved on from clean energy. Our goal now is $10 billion a year in climate financing. So, you know, flood with clean energy, then it is adaptation and it's clean energy. And then now it's overall $10 billion a year in uh, climate finance. Last year, we met that target. Uh, and of that, uh, almost half, I think 4 billion, 4 point some billion was on adaptation. And that was a very big push because you know, adaptation financing was a very difficult thing to get to for a long time. But I think um, I think we've broadened that. I think we've been able to to do more on that. So I think the 10 billion goal um, uh, that we met last year, I think we should be proud of that. Uh, but I think now clean energy itself, when you talk about wind, solar, it really is the purview of the private sector that we catalyze that. I know my colleagues in Thailand at the time was, did the first three or four or five uh, projects on solar in Thailand. But after that, um, the Thai banks themselves said, okay, we can do this. We don't need ADB's help anymore. So I think when you talk about wind, solar in Asia, I think we're moving to two things now. One is we're moving into energy transition. So we have a new, new program called the Energy Transition Mechanism, where we are trying to buy out existing coal-fired power plants and retire them early. So... Um, again, so this is the, the evolution of our own uh, clean energy and climate change program. Um, but tied to this energy transition mechanism is a thing that we have called just energy transition. So um, if you retire a coal-fired power plant, you know that the 
the community around it is really reliant on that. You know, the people that work there, they live in the community, then the small restaurants and there's people who sell clothes on the side, the barber shops, all that. If you close down the plant, the workers will go away. They're going to lose their job. So we're looking at a just energy transition. One of the things I talked earlier is about making our balance sheet work harder for us. We're gone to several of the donor countries and said, listen, can you provide a guarantee to our balance sheet to free up more lending? So we have to keep, you know, part of our balance sheet in reserve. So we are a prudent financial institution. If we get a guarantee from several of our donors to our balance sheet, this will free up that balance sheet to do even more lending on uh, clean energy and climate change and adaptation. So, um, so yeah, we're doing a lot of things beyond just an, uh, uh, the earlier work on 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 uh, donor funded pro uh, uh, donor funded trust fund to catalyze adb to do more clean energy financing but now we're really getting much more sophisticated in, in the ways we're we're financing climate projects well this is all very very encouraging uh, sam the fact that you know the the, the whole story uh, here about moving from a position of just putting yourself out there to being into uh, you know one of the big multi multilaterals uh, development agencies and and now seeing that there is the kind of initiative to create this change and also to appreciate some of the economic sensitivities that will come from that change i think i think just overall i mean we we can see that there's a lot of uh, important work that that will be explored and no doubt studied but the the bigger message i think and i hope that uh, some of our, our student listeners were taking this to heart is that there is opportunity and and that these projects that you're engaging on will require engaged curious committed minds and people that will want to be part uh, of those conversations down the road indeed and and it's so important and i tell you it's really really fulfilling um you know yeah, I, I talked about Bhutan earlier. We did a rural electrification project there. I met this old lady who said, I hear you're going to electrify my village. So when, once it's like, come back and I'll cook you for my electric rice cooker and I'll make you tea with my electric water heater. So then, you know, three years later, I came to visit her and she did make that to me. And that's that, that sort of thing that happens yeah. is really, really quite satisfying. And, I, and I'm hoping your students um, see that and, uh, and really, you know, there's a lot that's needed still in, in the development space. So indeed. And I think also the other, the other point I want to make is that the, the multilaterals, especially ADB is really evolving to be much more relevant to the needs of our various regions. Um, and that's also really encouraging um, because that was really needed. Excellent. Well, Sam, thank you so much for, for joining us. I know you've got a, a busy afternoon today in, in Washington, DC, so we don't want to take up too much of your time, but we do really appreciate you coming on board. Hopefully we can have you back for another conversation down the road. Uh, keep us posted on the, the clean energy project and, uh, and all the best. And thanks for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you very much for having me. I really had a lot of fun and uh, all the best with you too. And, and, and all your students. <laughs>